Open up to Luke chapter 4, which is where we'll be this morning. Uh, Ed Underwood pastors a church called the Church of the Open Door. He has a photo of, of, of himself preaching on a Sunday morning that always inspires him. Here's why it inspires him. He's up in front of his church and he's, he's holding a platter that's overflowing with grapes. And he was just wrapping up a vision series called From Survival to Significance. And in this picture, he was holding the grapes up. He was talking about John 15, abiding in the vine. And what he was saying in this series was um, that they as a church were crying out to God, that they, they no longer wanted to pre- be preoccupied with merely surviving. They wanted to thrive. They wanted to be used in an overabundant way for eternal significance. He prayed these words. Lord, I want my life to count forever. I don't want to be used by you to produce just a little amount of fruit. I want to see you do great things through my life and through the lives of these friends. The picture so inspires him because a few weeks later he was diagnosed with cancer. Lymphoma soon filled his body and ravaged it in no time. A book called When God Breaks Your Heart was the result of this experience. Ed found comfort in Jesus' words to Martha, the sister of the dead brother who called for Jesus to come and seeing him weep over her dead brother, asks her to do the strangest thing, for permission to remove the stone that was holding the body of her four-day dead brother. The equivalent of opening up the casket and essentially dumping the body on the floor. And in John 11.40, Jesus says these words to Martha. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Martha, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. You know what happens next. She gives permission as head of the household now. She gives permission for Jesus to move and to act. And what happens next is that Lazarus raises from the dead. The promise begins with her responsibility, her acting in a step of trust to Jesus. Ed writes these words. I needed to trust Jesus enough to begin living as a man who still had Ephesians 2.10 works to do. He was going to go preach his first sermon back. But Lord, I'm a repulsive lymphoma man. That was my protest on that Sunday morning, and I got ready to preach my first sermon back in the pulpit at the church of the open door after I'd been diagnosed. Judy, his wife, had to dress me because my swollen fingers did not work well enough to button my own buttons. The only clothes I could tolerate were loose-fitting garments that had been bought at a local skateboarding shop. I sat on the bed in front of the mirror, weeping uncontrollably. Look at me, I said to Judy. Every inch of me that the clothes couldn't hide was hideous. My hands, my face, my feet were swollen, and my skin was a shocking hue of what I can only describe as nuclear crimson. I looked like a red monster who lost his skateboard. I can't even turn the pages of my Bible. What will visitors think? I can't keep from crying. I can't remember my sermon. I can't do this. 
That morning I walked to the pulpit repeating the promise, if you believe, you will see. Looked over the crowd, this dear family I had missed so intensely for many months. I knew it was hard for them to see me like this. I could see it in their face. If you believe, you will see. My voice came out weakly. Hi, for all of those new to our church, my name is Ed Underwood. And I am still the pastor of the church of the open door. If you believe, you will see. The congregation spontaneously jumped to their feet, clapping. Many cheered. Some shouted words of blessing and encouragement. It was so unlike us to be so demonstrative. I cried. They cried. We wiped our tears and cried again. I stumbled through Psalm 91. We cried some more. It may have been the best Sunday of my life. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. What I didn't know then was that when God finally brought us back together, this is the church that he mentioned for a decade, struggled with discord, backbiting, and fighting after a beloved pastor left. When God finally brought us back together, we were not the same. We were better. Much better. He says this, The answer to my cry for significance came in the gift of cancer. Now apart from God, that sentence makes no sense. Some of you in this room are midway through this. You haven't called your ailment, those that ail your loved ones, a gift yet. Maybe you won't on this side of eternity. Some of you, as I read this, you know what Ed's talking about. You know now that you can look back and say some of my hardest days, some of the most difficult things that I went through, I would look back now and see and receive them as a gift from a loving, all-knowing Father. Jesus is the good doctor. We're in Luke's gospel, and Luke is writing with an eye toward not the inner circle Jews, but the wider audience of Greeks. And so it's the most universal, most accessible of all four gospels. Thus our tagline, hopeful healing for all. Luke is blowing the doors off. You don't have to be a Jewish insider to get my metaphors and to get these things. I'm going to highlight things that Jesus did. I'm going to translate it for you so we can all hear and understand the offer of the great physician. Today we're going to see Jesus, the good doctor, healing a wide variety of diseases that ravage the body and demons that ravage the psyche. And he does it on the spot completely. It's probably going to beg these kinds of questions. When you read about a healing that's miraculous in the scriptures, maybe you find yourself saying, what about me? What about my mom? What about my brother, my friend? What about my church family member? Probably begs this kind of question. Does Jesus still heal in the way that we're going to read about in Luke chapter 4? Does he still do that? Jesus, I believe you're capable, but do you still heal in this way? There's probably deeper questions too. Like this, why didn't he? Jesus, why didn't you rebuke the disease, the demons that ravaged my loved one? And now it's apparently too late. They're gone. 
You didn't answer my prayers. Where were you? These are the things that we walk around and we bring into church on a regular basis. The passage this morning and the events that we're going to look at are quite short. We only took a few verses this week. But the topic and themes that we're going to look at are really deep and really wide. I'm going to sort of do an extended look at healing in general because there's going to be a lot of healing going on, miracles going on in the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to peel out and take a a couple minutes to sort of think through these things before we move on in the Gospel. Miracles and healings and the problem of pain and evil. These are topics that that stir up really deep emotion and really passionate debate. And it stirs that up because there's, there's so much hurt involved in it and because there's so much we don't understand. I want to start this morning with a pastoral word to some of you who are here today that are in deep pain. Some of you I know are in pain. Some of you I don't know. You, you carry it inside and I know nothing about it. But let me just start by saying this, that when you're in pain and you're seeking questions, it can feel like any answer is cold and cruel. doesn't mean that it is that way. It just means it can feel that way when you're in the midst of your own personal winter. So here's the short answer I have for you. I'm sorry that you're in pain. Let us, as a church family, grieve with you. We're we're to carry one another's burdens. My quick short answer is this. I don't know why you're in pain. I don't know why your loved one isn't being snatched out of the jaws of death right now. I don't know why wayward children aren't coming home despite your many prayers and crying out to God. I simply don't know. I am glad you're here. I'm glad that you're here in the community of believers. And I pray that this morning can be a comfort to you and shed some light on what you're going through. The beautiful thing is this. God knows. The story is not complete. We live a now and later life. Remember that? There is hope and healing, and freedom right now. And there is hope and healing and freedom that's not yet. That is the tension of life. As Christians, we look forward to that day. We walk forward in faith in spite of what we are going through. I want you to point your brain for a second to the 72 that Jesus sends out. He sends them out in pairs on ahead of him and he tells them to go into villages and he gives them some specific instructions and he says to them, heal the sick and proclaim the good news. Remember that? And they come back and they're giddy with success. And you can just imagine them talking to their master and telling him things that were going on. And I want to steer your brain to what they are told by Jesus in response. He says in Luke 10, 20, Nevertheless, even though all these great things went on, you healed people and even demons obeyed. He says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
No matter what you're going through, no matter what physical ailment or spiritual attack you are enduring right now, Christian, hear me. Your cause for ultimate celebration, head and shoulders above anything that could happen down here, was settled when you were received by Christ through faith. It's the gospel. Isaiah 53 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are what? We're healed. Church, receive this. Let that foundation sort of frame everything else that we talk about here this morning. Before we experience this completely, we live in the now. We live in the day-to-day. We live in this fallen world. Let me say a few quick words about pain and suffering. Frank Turek says this, that intellectual answers can be like a doorway to the real answers that you're seeking. So again, sometimes in the midst of pain, to give reason and intellect to it feels like a barb instead of a bomb to you. But maybe you would hear some things today that would lead you further to ask more questions of God. I think you'd probably agree with me that much in modern evangelical Christianity has fostered unbiblical and unhealthy attitudes toward pain and suffering. Many of the best-selling books at Christian retailers, many of the most popular blogs, many of the largest attended churches in the world if you listen even not so carefully, but sort of casually, to what is coming out of the teaching of the person up front, the message that's being given in the blog or book is unbiblical and unhealthy regarding suffering. It's disconnected from history. It's disconnected from many of our brothers and sisters around the world. There is a feel-good-about-yourself Best life now Christianity. And instead of developing character, it develops comfort worshipers. Who say, if I'm not comfortable, and if I'm not healthy, then God must not be happy with me. Friends, read your Bible. Friends, open your eyes, like save up some money and go somewhere. Like travel outside of Disneyland. We live in Disneyland. Go live like the rest of the world for one week. You'll just, you'll see the scriptures in a different way. You'll repent. You'll come back and you'll have a much broader picture and a different attitude toward pain and suffering. Let me say overtly that those who say that you are still sick because your faith is too small are untruthful and unhelpful. There are some of you who were raised in a culture that if anything bad were happening, Ultimately, the message came back to this. You're doing it wrong. So now, not only do you feel sick from cancer, but you also are ravaged with guilt because you aren't faithing correctly or you, aren't, you don't have enough of it or you're not doing it right. Our faith matters who we place it on or what we put it in far more than the size of it. That's a clear teaching from Jesus. Doesn't Jesus predict pain and suffering for his followers? You're going to be insulted. You're going to be persecuted. 
You follow the leader. What happened to the leader? They killed him. So expect it. All those who desire to live godly in this life will be persecuted. If you're contemplating becoming a Christian this morning, full disclosure, your life will not be rid of disease and your bank account will not suddenly increase if you just touch the screen right here. That's not true. Jesus said, count the cost. Birds of the air have a nest. I don't have a place to lay my head. I don't own a house. That's who you're following. You will experience suffering. Your life very well may get worse from a worldly perspective the moment you receive Christ and get baptized and publicly proclaim him as Lord. And many of you could say, Amen. And so we look forward. Let me say this. Um, as we talk about this, as we look at healing and miracles, let's remember why we are here. Let's remember what this life is about. That death isn't the end. Death is a change of location. We are here to worship God and to enjoy Him forever. The forever doesn't start later on. The eternal life, the full life, begins now. The kingdom of God is at hand. There are other kingdoms, aren't there? That for a time are warring against the kingdom of God. Many of you work for bosses who are seeking to set up their own little kingdom. They impose a lot of pain on you. We have an evil, wicked kingdom. Spiritual forces that are working against God. Here's what we know, that your pain is never wasted or unnoticed. That God is sovereign. Pain has this way of clarifying what is really important. C.S. Lewis said this, Sometimes you don't look up until you are on your back. Parents, I want you to think about something for a second. Imagine that you never opposed your child. Imagine that you yanked your kid away from every ounce of pain. We call kids like that spoiled. Think about that word for a second. A spoiled child. Parents, you know what it is in your limited. If we who are wicked know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more God in heaven? If we know that we're going to allow them to endure hardship because we know it produces character, we know they need to brace for this, how much more God? How much more difficult and boorish would you be to live with if God never uh, allowed hardship and pain into your life? I mean, think about that for a second. If all of our prayers were answered according to our will, spoiled children. These are all parts of the answer, parts of the solution. All right, let me say a quick word about miracles. So miracles happen when the laws of physics are suspended or overruled. Think of this for a second. That the law of gravity is broken by a miracle when a thinking, willful being decides to break the law with superior power. So a tennis ball rolls off the table and you catch it. A thinking, rational being, I know you think that's questionable, it's real, 
with superior power, I was able to break that law of gravity, right? Happens all the time. Well, why don't I just go fly? Because I don't have that power. But a thinking rational being could build an airplane and learn to fly the airplane, and then that superior power could break or suspend those laws of physics. So with that in mind, think about this. By definition, miracles happen very infrequently, or else we wouldn't call them laws of gravity. And we wouldn't call it a miracle. It would just be an everyday experience, an everyday happening. So they happen really, really infrequently. You might think, well, the Bible's chock full of them. Well, how about this? The Bible has miracles, and they cluster around certain individuals. And when you see miracles in the Bible, here's what you are seeing. You are seeing a sign that is confirming a message from God. If you look at the Bible, the miracles cluster around Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, and the apostles. There's other ones that are there, and depending on how you count it, but they cluster around that very minute, small group of people. From Abraham to Jesus, which is over 2,000 years, depending on how you count it, there are roughly 250 miracles recorded in the scriptures. So if you were to span that out and say, if it just happened sequentially, not clustered, how, how often would they happen? That means that they would happen roughly every eight years. Miracles are infrequent. That's why we call them miracles. That's why they cause such a stir. As we read the Bible today, let me caution you with something. Don't make a passage that is about Jesus immediately about you. Like you're the Jesus character in the scriptures. You get the wrong messages from there. We saw this with Satan battling temptation in, in, in the wilderness, right? There's a bigger message than just memorize lots of scripture so you can sword play when Satan's tempting you and you throw out the right verse. And don't normalize the fact that, well, we see this miracle happen. Jesus can heal. That means he'll do it again today. Maybe. So on the one hand, don't normalize it and, and make bold claims as if God owes you somehow because he did it before. And don't shut the book on God's power. Don't say God did it then and he, there's no way he could do it today. Can we just have some humility this morning? Can we all just say, God, help us. We need your grace to meekly receive the implanted word this morning. Help us not to put us in authority over you, understanding over you, but to just receive from you and hear from you. Luke chapter 4, verse 37. Let me pick one verse up from last week. In these past several weeks over these two chapters, Jesus handles temptation. Jesus handles rejection when he preaches at his home church and they try to kill him. Jesus handles demons from last week. Today he shows that Jesus can handle disease. You remember Ben from last week telling us that, uh, showing us that Jesus confronts and then dismisses a demon who was using a man's body to disrupt a worship service just like this. And verse 37 says this, the reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And now verse 38, 
And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. That would be Peter. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic gospels. They see things the same way. And both Matthew and Mark have this same miracle, and they have a few details that Luke leaves out. But Luke includes some things. Remember, Luke was a doctor. He records that it was a high fever, and he alone records the fact that he stood over her. Think about a physician at the bedside of a patient, a doctor coming. It's as if Luke's saying, look, Jesus is the great physician. He's identifying with that probably from his own experience. And he's pointing out that the care and the cure come from this man. This is why she was healed. People who love other people hurt when they're sick. You hurt when your friends and your family and your neighbors are injured in some way, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Clearly, this is more than a common cold. They're desperate. So they do what desperate people do. They turn to God. I want you to see a pattern that's all through the Scripture. It's people crying out on behalf of others to God. People crying out to God on behalf of the injured, the wayward, the weak. It says they appealed to Him on her behalf. Now, if you have a British inner voice, that could sound so proper and formal, right? They appealed to her on her behalf. You know what that word means? Here's what that word means. They begged. They implored. They beseeched Jesus to help her. This is a picture of intercessory prayer. This is just crying out to God on behalf of other people. It's taking the needs of people that you love to the one who can meet those needs. And what was the effect of the request? Healing. Immediate. Complete. So complete that she gets up and starts making dinner. Just like that. The unwelcome guest was dismissed with a word from the good doctor. And this seems to give others a bright idea. Look at verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. Again, let me highlight this pattern of going to Jesus when you're hurting. Before it was people appealing to Jesus. Here it is physically bringing their diseased loved ones to Jesus. What is the best thing we can do for hurting loved ones? Bring them to Jesus. Let me clue you in. You may be here at the invite of a friend today. Your friend may be capturing this kind of spirit. Saying, I want you to come to church. Now hear me really clearly. Jesus is not confined to a building. Amen? However, your friend knows this. I know that if I bring you to this church, we won't just talk about Jesus, we'll talk to Jesus. 
I know that if you come to worship with these people on Sunday morning, we aren't just going to sing about a great God. We're going to sing directly to God. So let me just get you here. Jesus will know what to do. I don't know what else to do for you. I know that you need to get to Jesus. And so would you come to church with me? On my family's best days, siblings in our family are quick to get help when one of their other siblings is injured in some way, shape, or form. We don't always have our A game going, though. Sometimes we have someone who's injured, and uh, there's, there's, there's not even an effort to get up and go find mom or dad. You're, you're sitting there, and you just hear sort of, Mom, Tate needs you, from the other room. Now, experience has taught us that this could mean that Tate's bottom needs wiping, or it could mean that he needs stitches. Like, it's genuine. It could be anything in between those two things. Usually, if there's dark red liquid, there's an urgency, there's a cry for help. Sometimes they're physically carrying the child to the parents. Stay with me for a second. You were made for community. We celebrate the arrival of Josh and Kayla Barrow's baby little girl that was born yesterday morning. That little girl was placed in a family by God's loving design. As a Christian, you're born again, Jesus said. Remember that? And so God spiritually places spiritual babies into a family. We are, church, the household of God. So when someone in our family is hurting, we're not always on our A game. Sometimes we barely look up from whatever we're doing. Dad, I think this person needs you. Not super caring. We're working on that. Some of you I have witnessed metaphorically picking that person up and carrying them to Jesus. Rushing your siblings, looking out for your siblings and saying, I don't have a clue what to do. I know who cares most and I know who does. So I'm going to bring you to Jesus. For some of you, it's been years and years and years of appealing to Jesus on behalf of someone else. Hear me, do not stop. Do not stop. You are loving them the way you would want to be loved. My kids do not sit around and ponder and try to use their vast medical skill when blood is coming from the top of Everly's head. They call out, and when the parents didn't come right away, they call out at that pitch that every parent knows, oh, we're going to the hospital tonight. And so you come running. Our kids don't sit around and try to figure out. They, they don't hesitate. They're quick to just call out. So much so that the parents sometimes get annoyed that they called out so much. Anyone with me on that? God wants us. The Father wants us coming to Him. There's no request too small. In fact, there's a parable Jesus tells that says, be persistent. Knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Don't give up. You keep knocking. Jesus says the kind of prayer that gets answered is that one that just keeps on knocking. So we don't stop when we can't figure it out. We do what we're told to do. We ask 
We seek, we knock, and we don't stop there. You know what we do? Then we trust. We trust, and if God doesn't answer, we keep knocking. In this instance, it's remarkable because Jesus healed one and all. It seems that just whoever came, Jesus healed them. Luke notes that Jesus lays his hands on them and healed them. Again, clustered miracles. Don't miss how remarkable this is just because we may have read this before. Notice that there's various diseases and each one Jesus handled. We see this through the scriptures too. Jesus doesn't just deal with the multitudes. He deals with individuals. Nothing stumps him. Nothing's too hard. Jesus was there at creation. He knows his stuff. Notice that Jesus doesn't go out and rent a stadium and sell tickets to the event. You know why? Because Jesus is a giver, not a taker. Jesus is now to benefit from sick people. People who say they have the supernatural gift of healing, I say, great, go to the slums of Nairobi. Go get where sick people are. Go hang out in hospitals. Don't get yourself a television. Don't get yourself a giant room and charge people. Jesus doesn't benefit from the sick. He benefits the sick. Jesus deals with both the physical and the spiritual. I'm leaning heavily on the physical this morning because last week Ben looked all at handling demons and and the spiritual warfare that goes on. But once again, Luke says that he heals diseases and makes that distinction and demons came out. Every sickness you have is not demonic attack. It's the fallen world that we live in. Jesus is the ultimate holistic healer. You're into holistic medicine, turn to Jesus. Remember from Jesus' first sermon in his home church, he mentions the blind, the poor, the slave, the oppressed. And we said, is he thinking there primarily physically or is he thinking spiritually? And the answer is yes. Here he is being a living illustration to his own sermon. Does Jesus care about the physical needs of people? Absolutely. That's what he goes and seeks them out. Does Jesus care about the eternal souls of people and ultimate healing? Absolutely. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Once again, who's the most theologically astute in this passage? Demons or people? The demons get it right. You are the son of God. Yikes. Yikes that demons see more clearly than people. I think part of the curse of sin is spiritual blindness. Us not being able to see beyond the sign to the true miracle. So all we seek is the gift, the gift, the gift, the gift. And we never get our brain off and say, who keeps giving me these good gifts? Every good gift, friends, is from God. Another part of the curse, spiritual short-sightedness. Spiritual short-sightedness creates worshipers of the God of comfort and health. Only seeking and settling for the here and now. There is life being offered by Jesus to you today that will never end, never rust, never break down, never need repair. And yet so often people settle for immediate relief. 
And they cannot get their prayers beyond that. They cannot get their head beyond that. And any mention that God may be doing something bigger shuts them down. And they just want relief today. I want to invite the band to come on up. And they're going to lead us in a song that communicates well some of the themes that we're talking about. I pray that even as we sing, you'll remember and revel in the authority of Jesus that has been on display in these weeks. Jesus is the good doctor who can be trusted. His word is effective. Then and now, Jesus speaks to all creation, angels, demons, healthy cells, disease cells, rocks, and waves, obey perfectly and immediately at His command. Consider the fact, parents, that you sometimes say, wait, to your kids. You sometimes say to your kids at their request, not today. Sometimes, with a heart and mind full of love, you say, no. That will never happen. After we sing... Uh, I'm going to come and say a few concluding remarks, but we're going to then spend some time modeling and just doing what we saw in the scriptures today, and that is praying, talking to Jesus on behalf of our loved ones. And I'll lead us in that in just a minute. So why didn't God save your loved one? Why isn't God removing the pain that you're enduring today? I don't know, but I know that God did not spare his own son. Not only from agonizing pain, but from death. God is good. God is caring. God is all-powerful. And God's ways are higher than our ways. The same Jesus who wept over Lazarus only to raise him from the dead is the one who also left towns full of needy people. The same Jesus who healed strangers who came up and touched him left his own cousin, John the Baptist, languishing in a prison and didn't step in even when his own head was lopped off. God is good. God is caring. God is all-powerful, and God's ways are higher than ours. Intercessory prayer is taking concern for others to the one who is most concerned. And more than that, who's able to help. Sometimes we might think of intercessory prayers as a super class of Christian. Nonsense. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Church, that's what we're going to do right now. On any given Sunday, this is a place 
where we have a very gracious church family that allows for people who are just checking out Jesus, just finding out about Christianity, you're able to come, listen in, participate as little or as much as you want to. And I just love the way our gracious church family allows for that. That being said, if you're new here, if you're new-ish here, you have stumbled into a church family, a gathering of saints who have been healed and need to be healed, who've been bandaged up and still need bandaging. And so what we do as a church family is we cry out to our good Heavenly Father together. The way we're going to do this is I want you to open up your Bible to Psalm 139 right now. Your chairs are attached, and so you may need to just turn and kind of get up and gather, but I want us to form groups of three, but no bigger than eight. Another ground rule is this. Don't talk to each other about your disease, your ailment, your spiritual attack. Just talk straight to God. We're going to have a code of silence of talking to each other. You don't even need to introduce yourself. You can introduce yourself afterwards. We're going to gather, and we're going to mimic what the Scriptures say to do. We're going to make an appeal to Jesus on behalf of people. I'd ask that you be respectful of what is prayed. Let that intimate circle of prayer remain intimate between those people. Of course, you have freedom to participate as little or as much as you would like. Some of you are introverts. Some of you just don't like praying out loud. Don't pray out loud. Just listen in. I hope that you'll leave your Bible open to Psalm 139 and let, let the words of this song guide the conversation. Let me show you some things from Psalm 139. You know, different truths emerge when you're in the valley shadows rather than the mountaintop sunlight. Isn't that true? Let me show you a couple that came to my mind. Psalm 139.5 You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Verse 6 says this, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The why of suffering, the why of healing, the timing of death, these are impossible to discern from our vantage point. Psalm 139, when read in the valley of the shadow of death, gives us whole new meaning. Look at verse 7. Where shall I go? He's saying, no matter where I go, you see me, your presence is with me. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. Dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand leads me. Think about the ocean to the ancients. Don't think Aquaman. Don't think wetsuits. Don't think scuba tanks. I mean, the ultimate unknown is the ocean. You go under for a few seconds, you can't breathe, you'll die. Lurking beneath you are creatures that could devour you at any second. It's as big and as vast as their mind can possibly get around. And even... There, your hand holds me. Let me give you one more. Verse 11, the light about me is night. Feelings are part of the equation. This is how winter feels. You cognitively can know there's light. 
but it feels like night. Church, right now, with Psalm 139 open, would you just gather in groups of three to eight and pray? We're going to close out our service doing this, so you have a good uh, handful of minutes here to do this. I will wrap us up at the very end. Turn to a group near you and just begin to pray to God. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God, there's coming a day when we will close our eyes and awake to eternity. Father, those of us who are resting in the promises you've made to us, look forward to that day with inexpressible joy and hope and longing. God, the dark days, the shadows here, the pain that us and others are going through, Stir up even more longing for it, God. And yet, God, here we are today by your ordained plan. Help us not to presume upon tomorrow. Help us not to neglect the gift that this moment is, this breath in our lungs today, this moment, can be used in great ways for eternity. God, for those who are not under your covering, you couldn't be more clear. They are outside of the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ. They are on their own, standing judgment for the sin and for the wrongdoing and for the rebellion and for the wickedness of their lives. But you died for wicked people. So God, I pray this morning would be a moment of yes no longer forgetting you no longer oblivious to you and your rule but to say yes and to receive the gift that was offered at the cross the gift of relationship God if we believe we will see your glory And all God's people said, Amen.